Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. He was always first. He was the first to talk. He was the first to testify. He was the first to tussle. He liked a good fight. But now, first came in second. John had outrun him. Maybe John was just built for speed. Maybe Peter was quick to speak, but not very quick to sprint. Or maybe, just maybe, Peter was built for endurance. At least that's what he had come to believe since the first interaction he had with Jesus. Do you remember? The first time he ever has any interaction with Jesus, Jesus looks at this fisherman by the name of Simon and he changes his name. From that day forward, Peter tries to live up to the meaning of his new name, Peter, which means rock. Steadfast, determined, solid. He tries to live up to that. And on his best days, he does a pretty good job. You'll need to remember that it was Peter who was first in Revelation. Remember what happens? Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, who do men say that I am? And it was Peter, always first. He he jumps to the front of the line and he says, I know who you are. You're, You're the Christ, the son of the living God. It's almost like he gets a standing ovation from Jesus. Jesus is like, yep, you're right. And on that revelation right there, I will build my church on that rock right there. He he was the first one to jump the rail and walk on water while all the other disciples hung out in the safety and the comfort of the boat. He was always first. On his best days, he lived up to the name Rock. He was rock-like. But then there were all those other days. You remember, because he was also first in a, a lot of different ways that aren't so rock-like. He, he, was, he was the uh, first to distance himself from Jesus. Remember on the day of crucifixion, when things are going wrong, The word says it like this. He followed from afar. John hung out with Mary, but Peter decided it was better to hang out with maids. He was the first to be rebuked. I mean, you remember when Jesus tries to prophesy about his own death, he tells his own disciples, listen, I'm going to go have to, I've got to go die. And Peter jumps to the front of the line and says, oh, Jesus, that's not going to happen to you. I rebuke you, Jesus. And he in turn gets rebuked and goes from being a spokesman for faith to now a spokesman for Satan. He was always first. His distance caused him to be the first in public rejection. We know that Judas rejected Jesus in private, but Peter's was the first public rejection because when he had the chance to step up and and talk and speak and defend his friend, he fails. He denies Christ three times because distance always leads to denial. But now word has come. 
word came that, that the, the, the ladies had gone to the tomb and that they, that they couldn't find the body and something's messed up, something's awry and you've got to come see what's happened. We don't understand it. And the race is on. And the first is second. My question this morning is, why was the one that had always been first, why suddenly did he come in second? Maybe, maybe Peter's mind was racing so fast about what he had hoped was true or what he thought may be true. Maybe, maybe all the memories of these occasions with Jesus was playing across his mind and his mind was racing so fast that his feet couldn't. Maybe, maybe he was so consumed about his own failures and his own frailties that now he just couldn't focus on fast. Or maybe, maybe he came in second because the rock dreaded seeing the rock. This, this rock that he's expecting to come into uh, back into an encounter with is not any just any ordinary rock. In fact, Mark chapter 16 says this about the rock. It says, it was very large. It was a very large rock that sealed the tomb. Scholars think that this rock was probably somewhere between two and 4,000 pounds in weight. But you know, I don't really think it was the weight or the dimensions of that rock that probably caused Peter to hesitate or to slow down in his run. I think maybe it was this, and I, I can't prove it, but, but, but if I was Peter, this would be it. I, I think it's the fact that, that this, this large rock that was blocking access to the tomb was a statement not only of the finality of Jesus' life, but the finality of Peter's life as well. Because that rock indicates, it's a visible indication that all the dreams, all the plans, all the desire for change was over. The the three years of his life that he had followed Jesus around, listened to everything he said, the hopes of overthrowing the Romans, all of those, those ambitions, they're gone. What he thought was possible now seems completely and totally impossible. Maybe he didn't want to see the rock because we, we don't understand this because we're not a part of that culture. But, but maybe he didn't want to see the rock because it was a reminder that now Peter, who had become almost like a superstar on the preaching circuit with Jesus, he was one of the most famous rabbi's disciples. But now... Peter's back to being overlooked because, see, you need to understand the, 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 the culture. The, the fact is, is that when Jesus went looking for his disciples, at the age the disciples were, most of them very young men, what it meant by the fact that Peter was out fishing when Jesus found him was that he showed no potential for Scripture. See, they, they all went to the temple for education. And if you showed potential or promise or deep understanding in Scripture, then you got to stay in school. But if you weren't very good in Scripture and you didn't show any potential for leadership, guess what you did? You went home to work with Dad. And Jesus finds Peter fishing. He's overlooked. He's been rejected. And I wonder if maybe the rock simply reminded Peter 
that now you are overlooked again and now you are a has-been and you're a wannabe and now you're going to go back to fishing again, back to daddy's business and you are no longer that special individual called out and separated, set apart. I think he dreaded seeing the rock. I don't think he liked the rock. But it was a race. They run to the tomb. They encountered this rock. But listen, it wasn't a race to see who would win. It was a race to see who had won. They were going to see whether or not death had won or Jesus had won. And so they come huffing and puffing. John's faster. Uh, he, He sprints into the the cemetery and he sees the misplaced tombstone and then finally Peter rounds the corner huffing and puffing mind racing heart hopeful he sees the misplaced tombstone and now the first who became second becomes first again this is how it went in uh, in John chapter 8 we begin to read these words uh It's the account of what takes place. It says, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb and both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter. It's interesting to me that John doesn't say, I outran Peter. He didn't want to brag. I would have put my name in there. Uh, I beat him bad. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over. Watch what happens. And he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him. This is Peter. He's second, but now he's first again. He went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside, and he saw, and he believed. Can you imagine, just just for a moment, can you imagine the thoughts that went through Peter's mind when he saw the stone had been rolled away? Can can you even fathom the the feelings that must have gone through his mind? his his heart and his spirit when he rounds the corner and sees that massive stone has been removed can you imagine what you're going to think when he's able to roll away your stone can, can you even begin to fathom what you will feel when Jesus who has this power moves and and rolls your stone away. See, that's the power of Easter. That is the story of Easter. Here's the truth of Easter in a nutshell. If Jesus had the ability to deal with his stone, he also has the sufficiency to deal with your stone. Scripture says it like this. It's interesting how it works. It says that Jesus conquered death and the grave. In essence, what the writer's trying to say to us is this. The most significant barrier that could stand between Jesus and his destiny, the enemy threw that at him. 
But Jesus is so strong and so powerful and is who he says he was that, that he completely and soundly defeats death's or the enemy's greatest weapon. That's the story of Easter. So on the day that death died, all of the things that could stand between life that Jesus promised us have been defeated. All the stones have rolled away. On the day that death died, all of death's companions were defeated as well. Because what could stand between us and the Father? Sin? Well, that has already been defeated. Maybe shame. Maybe it's shame. Shame is what stands between me and the Father. That's, that's the thing that would be able to keep me away from God. But, but see, on the day that death died, go ask Peter about shame. The fact that Jesus even wanted to see Peter after he denied him three times and calls for Peter uh, specifically shows us that, that even death, when death was destroyed, shame went down to failure. You don't know my story, Steve. You don't understand. I've messed this all up. I've made so many mistakes. Uh, The first, he made a bunch of mistakes too. But when Jesus' stone was rolled away, that thing that would obstruct his access to life was destroyed as well. Pain, pain could separate me from the Father, surely. No, on the day that death died, even pain lost its power. So this morning, what we've done is we've given each of you a rock. This is your rock. Jesus dealt with his rock. He wants to deal with your rock. My question this morning uh, is this. We, see, see, we gave you a rock because it's tangible. It's something you can hold in your hands. And what I would like for you to do is grab that rock right now. And Because I've had some questions for you this morning about your rock. I want you to look at your rock. Uh, if, if you had like Superman's uh, vision, you know, remember the old cartoon where the, the lasers would shoot out of his eyes? Uh, uh, and and it, it was awesome. Not as cool as Spider-Man, but it was awesome. Um, it was like if, if you had that ability, if you could take your rock right now and look at it, what would you etch into your rock? What, what word would you put into your rock that would signify this is the thing that I think separates me from God. This is the thing. I I had an affair that separates me from God. Just just etch affair right there. I've had an addiction, maybe an addiction in my life, and that that separates, that keeps me from being able to get to to the Father. That's the thing. Uh, my doubts. I've got a lot of doubts in my mind, so I'm going to etch doubt right here. That's the that's the thing. Uh, self-loathing. I loathe myself. I don't even. I don't feel worthy. I'm a nobody. Yeah, you just don't know who I am. And so, just etch that. What separates you from the life that Jesus promised? The story of Easter is so powerful and so important to us because it reveals that life escaped the tomb so that it could so it could come into our heart. That's why Jesus he he lives up to the statement that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. But the tendency is this we continue to roll stones between us and the Father. What's your rock? What is it that you allow to separate you from Jesus? 
Come on, write it, write it right there, write it right there. It's this is the thing. But the power of Easter is that if he handled his rock, he can handle your rock. I, I, I need to take you to a passage of scripture because one of the writers in the New Testament, he poses the same question. He just does it differently. He says, he asks it like this. He says, what can separate us from the love of Christ? I, I like this writer because he always tends to answer his own questions. And, and so he says, what can separate us? But I love what he does because then he begins to list the worst of the worst. He says, neither death nor powers or principalities. Then he, he deals with the strongest of the strong. No, no demons, no angels. Then he even goes into the, the, the known and the unknown, the expected and the unexpected. And he goes, neither things present nor things to come. And then he answers his own question. And I think he shouted. I think, I think he recognized that Jesus could handle any rock. And I think he begins to yell to us. And he says, nothing shall separate us. There's nothing in your life. I know you etched it into the stone as if it could seal you off and separate you. But the truth is, is that nothing, nothing can separate you. Let me take you back to Mark chapter 16 for just a moment. There's an interesting thing that takes place in that chapter. In Mark chapter 16, before the disciples go and check out the empty tomb, the Bible says that the ladies go to, they want to go anoint Jesus' body and take care of Jesus' body. And they look at one another and they ask this question. It's the question I have for you this morning. They said, who has the ability to move the stone? We don't even have the ability to move the stone to be able to get in there and to take care of Jesus even though we want to. Who, who has the ability? And the question that I ask you this morning is you've got to come to this understanding that Peter came to and the disciples came to. And that is this. There is not one person in this room, there is not one person in this life that can handle your rock except Jesus Jesus has the ability to roll away every failure, every fear, every shortcoming, every pain, every memory, all the consequences. He, you, you don't escape consequences, but he can turn your life around so that you don't have to live in bondage and defeat anymore. Here's the truth on Easter morning. Many under the sound of my voice have already experienced the rock-rolling power of Jesus. Maybe it was 15 years ago, maybe longer than that, maybe it was just last year, you came to this understanding that I've got a rock in my life that continues to separate me from the love of the Father and the life that He's planned for me and my destiny and my dreams, and you've embraced a relationship with Jesus, and you have experienced what I'm talking about. You saw all the obstacles rolled away, and you need to testify about that this morning, and we're going to give you an opportunity. Every one of you is going to get to testify this morning. I see some of you getting nervous. But there are some of you under the sound of my voice that think that your rock is so large that you've continued to resist. And now you find yourself in a hopeless place. But the good news of Easter is that today is the day.
the Bible declares it like this. Today is the day of salvation. In other words, God worked it out to bring you to this place today so that you could experience what many of us have experienced, which is this. Jesus can handle my rock. But we don't want to embarrass anybody. So we're all going to testify. I'm going to ask our technicians to bring these side lights up because what I want you to do is I want you to stand with me this morning. And I'm going to ask you to get your rock right now. Just, Just grab your rock. This is your rock. This is not mama's rock. This is not daddy's rock. This is not nephew's rock. This is not anybody else's rock, but your rock. This is my thing. You've etched, you've etched into it the thing that has separated you from God. If you've already experienced the power of what Jesus can do, then this is a testimony service for you. You get to testify of the fact that Jesus can handle your rock. By the way, my rock's bigger than your rock. Because I know me. But it doesn't matter how big the rock was. Jesus can handle it. But if you don't know Jesus, you haven't accepted Him as your Savior, you haven't submitted your life to Him, then we're going to do this, and we're going to be with you so we won't know who's who. But by this simple act that we're going to do, when you do what I ask you to do, I want you to do this as a statement that I am surrendering my entire life, my rock, to Him. Once and for all, I'm giving up. I'm, I'm giving up the things that I've allowed to separate me in the past. I, I'm walking into the life. And when you do this, just in your heart, Scripture says that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross, rose again on the third day, that creates faith in us. And when we believe that and we confess with our mouth, We tell people, well, we're all going to tell each other today, symbolically, that at that moment, you're saved. And everything changes. Father, this morning, I pray that as we take this act, a simple little statement of faith, for some as a testimony, for some as a first time or maybe a rededication to you, God, I pray that as we do this, you would allow us to embrace the fact that we are in fact free that that is the story that is the power that is the whole meaning of Easter that you provided freedom for us Jesus we don't have to live separated from the love of the Father I pray that you would accomplish this Father if there's one that's here that does not know your son Jesus I pray that when they take this simple step they would understand that their life has changed and they have access. The veil has been torn. We have access to the love of the Father. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.